Nehemiah today. You find it, right? You go to the Psalms, you go backwards past Job and Esther, and you find your way there as best as possible. I don't know who filled up the water today, but it's sparkling water. We've gotten a little fancier. I think I can hold my pinky up while I drink it. I don't know what that means. It tastes good, though. So, <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 1, just be there. Now, y'all might know, because I tell you a lot, I'm not a big, huge fan of the news. Um, not CNN, not Fox, uh, not social media, none of it. Um, I do like to know what's going on in the world somewhat, uh, but I, I come to this sense right, that it's, it's unhealthy for us to have the, the whole weight of the world, of, of, of all the worst things going on in the world at any given moment, right, uh, just on our shoulders every single day. Here is all the worst things. Now, just think about that for a while. Dwell on that, right, as if any of us are going to do well in that situation. We, we today see in 4K video the destruction of and suffering caused by tsunamis and tornadoes and hurricanes and terrorists and all these things. We, we hear stories, right, of Roman Catholic priests molesting children. Many of you actually have watched with your own eyes the, the killing of George Floyd or, you know, saw communities rioted and burned in the aftermath. We've spent two years keeping up with this anxious spread of COVID and what's it mean and what's it doing and where's it going and what's next. You, you've watched from a distance as, as pastors in Canada have been, you know, imprisoned for, for gathering for worship, and there seems to be another school shooting almost every week, right? Another one in Kansas two weeks ago even. Maybe you're discouraged after year after year, you, you've seen new laws passed that seem to just further normalize the depravity of human hearts. Currently, many are following along as uh, nuclear bomb possessing Russia and invades Ukraine, and, and you're wondering, right, how high can gas prices probably actually go? You wonder a little about the financial instability. Maybe you fear that World War III is, is waiting for its cue in the, in the wings. And, and I haven't even touched on personal things, right? These are just world, way out there kind of things. I, I haven't even touched on the fact, you know, news that we hear like, you know, parent with Alzheimer, friend's cancer, or friend's suicide, and, and so on and so on, and, and all the news that just comes to us over and over and over again. You see, God is omniscient. God knows everything. Everything. Everything going on in the world, he knows everything in your mind, he knows everything. You are not omniscient. And yet, through technology, many of us try to be omniscient. At least we allow ourselves to just hear more and more. We, we want to know it all. It, it's so easy to just become addicted to the info. And believe me, I, I know I struggle with myself. And, and it's also easy to become both anxious and or numb to it all, right? Those, those two responses to this tsunami of news that comes at us. After all, what, what is your first reaction when you hear terrible news going on? Right? Even if you're, you try to avoid the news, it, it finds you out somehow. Someone's going to tell you this. I, I call my mom and the news gets to me that way you know, every time. And you know, What's your reaction when you finally do hear the news somehow? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Is it anger at some specific group or individual? Is it just more apathy? Have we just become numb to it that it means nothing anymore? I mean... And, and I ask this because wouldn't it be something if, if terrible news of any kind 
actually made you weep, if it led you to, to mourn or to fast or to pray, that, that's what we're about to see in our passage here as, as Nehemiah responds to the news we, we learned about last week. Right? Ne- Nehemiah asked these, about these exiles in Jerusalem. Hey, how are things going with them? What's, what's the deal there? And he hears back that, that the walls are broken, that the gates have been burned, that they are in trouble, that they are weighed down with shame. That's what's going there. That's how they're doing. And that's where we pick up today. Okay, Nehemiah 1 verse 4. Let's read that. Follow along if you will. As soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments... And do them. Though you, your dispersed be under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place that I have chosen. To make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your peoples. Whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servants. And to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our minds to understand your word. Open our hearts to receive your word. Teach us this day so that we may learn to to pray like Nehemiah prays in this desperate time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we don't think much uh, of there being no walls of of Jerusalem. I I can't remember that I touched on it much last week. I I do kind of want to help you understand that because we don't have any walls around our city, right? So you're like, we don't have walls, we're fine. Uh, But imagine, if you will, for a moment that your, your hometown has lost the ability to have electricity. They have no running water, they have no police force, things like that. What, what you'd feel in that moment as you think about the people you know back there, your family back there, your relatives back there, right? That's closer to what Nehemiah is feeling with this news here, that the walls and the gates have been torn down. And, and so Nehemiah is, is so taken by this terrible news that he sat down and he wept and he mourned for Jerusalem. And he weeps for days. And he fasts for days. He, he abstains from eating, right? That's fasting. Uh, fasting here is, is part of mourning. It's, it's part of grief. It's, it's also this, this form of worship that acknowledges that while food is necessary for life, God is even more necessary, right? And, and, and understand this. We, we tend to think of fasting as just the food part of it. <clears throat> um, you know, he'd, he'd skip meals to pray. 
And, and don't think, right, running through Taco Bell, rush kind of thing. Uh, meals at this time for them, these are extended periods of time. It's a big social interaction. Uh, it's the, they'd last hours at times. And, and that's what he's sacrificing is all of that, the food, the socializing, all of that stuff. And, and I know, right, we remember he's a cupbearer, so surely he would have had to taste meals, right? Well, yeah, probably. Probably he would have had to stay there and taste the food do his job, and then dismiss himself, which I think even makes it harder that you'd have to taste it, um, personally. So, so this speaks, though, to, to these priorities of, of Nehemiah. And, and, and Raymond Brown says this. He says, prayer is the most elegant expression of our priorities. It confesses our reliance upon, upon God, exercises our personal faith, and demonstrates our love for others. And we see that here with the sacrifice. So, so let's consider the content of Nehemiah's uh, prayer here. And, and the obvious subtext of this, right, that we see it in the scriptures like it is, the way it's been preserved to us, is, is clearly this, hey, child of God, pray like this. Learn to pray like this. It is absolutely here as a model for us. And, and, and so this week, I, I have wanted to learn to pray like this, for, for this to shape the way that I respond, particularly when I'm hearing terrible news, whatever it might be, uh, and, and, and I want us all to learn to pray like this, both in heart and in the form here. Now, now Derek Thomas, and I promise I won't have thousands of quotes, but I got two right off the bat here. Uh, Derek Thomas wisely explains, some of us draw the conclusion that praying according to a certain form inevitably implies a formalism devoid of any real life or vitality. But that need not be the case. Some of our praying would be greatly improved by imposing some liturgical discipline to bring some form to the way that we pray. And there's lots of prayers in the Old and the New Testament that we can, we can use for that kind of shaping of our prayers, and, and we're going to look at this one today. Now, keep in mind that, that based on, on the months listed in chapters 1 and 2 here, um, Nehemiah is praying for four or five months before he prays this particular prayer. This one, based on what we're seeing here, is this particularly worded prayer that, that comes on the, the morning that he's going to go into the king and he's going to make this request that we're going to learn about next week. Now, he's been, Nehemiah has been patiently waiting for God's timing through all this. Don't think this is all immediate, 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 right? He, he didn't rush. Perhaps his earlier prayers were for wisdom to know what, what, what am I supposed to do with this news I just heard? How am I supposed to process this? Maybe at the beginning of this, these months of prayers, he, he didn't envision that he could possibly be involved in it, that he was any chance of him actually leaving Jerusalem to do this, especially when you think about the position he's in. Right? He, he's in, enslaved, he's in bondage to the very king who, who some months earlier, some years earlier, actually demanded that, that Jerusalem, the building in, on Jerusalem be stopped. That's the guy he's got to talk into letting him leave to go be a part of this. Now these months of prayer, both day and night, had, had shaped his plan. He, he's praying for today. And I, and I point that out <clears throat> particularly because you and I, we, we live in a culture of, of doing we live in a culture of constant going, constant engagements, right? Everything is, is lots of interaction all the time. You, you think about, um, right, even when watching TV now, how many times do you see someone or find yourself watching TV and then you have another screen in your hand, right? Just because maybe the TV is not going to be engaging enough for you. And, and, and so this idea in our culture of prayer, right, being, being quiet, being still, being focused, 
talking to God who's not immediately, right, right, not talking back to you in the way that another human being is, um, right, that's hard for us. That's boring for us. That, that's unengaging. That is such a difficult. That, that, that's why, you know, when, when we hear sermons on prayer, most of us just feel guilty for how little prayer we do or how poorly engaged we are in prayer. If that is how you feel right now, I let go of that today, okay? I just want you to learn today. I want you to gain a desire to meet with the Lord in prayer, not out of guilt, but for the good of our souls. Learn to meet with the Lord for the, for the hope of our needs, <clears throat> okay? Now, J.I. Packer, another quote. Um, he said this. He said, Nehemiah's walk with God was saturated with his praying and praying of the truest and purest kind, namely, the sort of praying that is always seeking to clarify its own vision of who and what God is and to celebrate his reality in in constant adoration. Constant adoration. The first portion of Nehemiah's prayer is this, this heartfelt prayer, and it reveals just how dearly Nehemiah adores God. Listen to this. You can look as I read it, right? His prayer begins, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He can confidently express this character of God, right? Let me talk about who you are, God. He can express that because he's actually praying scripture here. He's nearly quoting from Deuteronomy 7.9, Uh, Not exactly quoting, but nearly. 7-9, listen to this. The Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And we're going to see throughout this prayer that it's actually saturated with Scripture. Saturated. And and so Nehemiah, in, in humility here, he's not demanding to be heard by the Lord. He is asking God to hear him. And he bases this plea not on his own goodness, not to hear me because look how faithful I have been, not hear me because, you know, I'm really committed. I'm not like those other people. There's there's no merit here of of faithful living or anything else, but it's on the, the consistency of God to be true to his word, of God to be true to his covenant. Did you notice in verse six here that Nehemiah refers to himself as God's servant? Did you notice that word all throughout this prayer? Servant, servant, servant. Eight times in these verses, right? Nehemiah either refers to himself individually, refers to Moses, right, in the past, or or he's referring to to Israel as a whole, as the servants of of the Lord. And so his prayer begins, as, as our prayers regularly should begin, with heartfelt adoration for all of who God is. And if you want to ask why, because... Because God's awesomeness demands our reverence. It just does. Halfway through verse 6, we see the second element of Nehemiah's prayer, confession. And I'll say after studying this passage all, all week, it, it finally hit me. I, as I'm praying, you know, going through it, I'm thinking, this just feels so foreign to me. Why does this feel so, so different from the world I live in? And, and here's what finally hit me. Um, today, the suffering in Jerusalem, I, I think for so many, w- would be levied at God as an accusation. How dare you allow that to happen? It's 
Especially because these are your people. They're, they're trying to rebuild the city which you've called to them. How dare you permit these walls to be destroyed? But Nehemiah, knowing full well that, that God caused this, he, he doesn't accuse God of doing wrong. He doesn't accuse God of being evil. He confesses his own sin. And we see this both corporately and, and individually, right? Corporately followed by individuals. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Right? You, you've seen corporate confession followed by individual confession, maybe page nine in your liturgy every week, right? Um, you see, if we truly understand that in, in prayer we approach God and that God is holy, that's who we're approaching, God who is holy, it's going to awaken us from, from, to our own sinfulness. And the more we are aware of our own sinfulness, our unholiness, right, the more we can see just how holy God is. Right, that contrast just does that. Don't believe me, right? Go home and hold up pure white in front of your teeth. You'll notice, even if you've never noticed before. Right? And, and it does this in the sense of holiness, right? Think of Isaiah 6, right? He's in the presence of God and he looks on and the angels are singing and they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And they're singing it over and over again. And Isaiah's first response is to say, Woe is me! For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Seeing the Lord has just made him so overwhelmingly aware of his un, unholiness. Or in Luke 5, 8, right after the Apostle Peter, he watches Jesus do this miracle and it's beginning to hit for Peter. He's, he's starting to understand this, this Jesus guy is not just a guy, he is God, he is holy. And he's starting to understand who Jesus is and, and, and Peter just falls on his knees and out of his mouth come these words that are so unexpected. He says, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. How can I be in your presence? I am a sinful man. And all this is just, confession is absolutely countercultural today. It just is. Today everyone wants to point the blame at someone else for whatever situation we find ourselves in. L listen, church, Christian, we can model something different, something more godly. We can model humility and confession and repentance. And not just because it how it looks to outsiders, right? Not as a PR thing, but because we really are guilty, both corporately and individually, because God really is holy. Can you see the, the beauty, the, the honesty, though, in Nehemiah's corporate confession? But look how he doesn't even make an attempt to try to defend them. Like, maybe they were, I don't know. He, he prays, I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Yeah, you notice, you notice when I emphasize it at least, right, the word we there at the end? This is a guy who's never set foot in Jerusalem as far as we know. He's, he's not one of them in that regard, but, but he is in the sense that he's part of the body of Christ, and, and here he confesses in solidarity with his fellow Israelites. And, and then he does, does get more per personal, right? He's confessing his own sins and the sins of his, his father's house, right? I'm not innocent in this, he's saying. He, Nehemiah is convicted that, that he is as great a sinner as anyone else in Judah, 
You might have heard this before, but in the early 1900s, the, the Times of London, right, a newspaper, invited several authors, including G.K. Chesterton, to respond to a question. Here's the question, what is wrong with the world? How do you think you'd answer that? I'm probably write a very long letter. I'm going to read you his entire letter, right? I'll read it in entirety. He says, Dear Sirs, I am, period. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. His entire answer. Here's the opportunity to point out every policy that's wrong, how parents have raised children, you know, whatever you want to do, and, and that's what he, he acknowledges. I am. See, to, to truly know thyself is to know thyself to be a sinner in need of a Savior. Confession comes naturally when we know ourselves. Nehemiah points out a particular sin there in verse 7, saying that we have, we have acted very corruptly against you, right, you God, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses, he's talking about uh, the Ten Commandments, it's the commandments there, right? The, the list of laws also, uh, but also the list of laws given to the nation of Israel in the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. To, to their absolute shame, they, they knew God's word, they knew it well, and yet they disobeyed God's word. And so when you pray, do confess, don't, don't gloss over confession, truly don't, because one, one of the reasons I, I believe there is such little deep level change in our hearts as Christians, in our dealing with, with sin that we're struggling with, what, one of the reasons is that there is so little deep level confession. We don't view it like it's really viewed in the, in the eyes of God who is holy. And so then in verse 6, beginning in verse 8 rather, uh, we see Nehemiah remembering the grace that God has promised his people. This is important. We, we see it in this, this beautifully arranged mosaic of these great warnings and promises which were originally spoken to Moses. Hey, okay? So he's praying scripture. He's, he's taken all this stuff that, that Moses spoke, right? And, and he's kind of reworded it, but it's absolutely in, in accordance with what Moses said. He just summarizes it down. And, he, and, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, God, remember all that stuff about our sin and our being scattered. We understand that. I know that. That's our fault. That is absolutely on us. And then he's saying, but, but you also said, and look at verse 9, you'll see it. You also said, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and, and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell. That's a little weird saying. I read from an original version of the ESV, and they've actually updated it, so you might have heard it different if you were following along earlier, right? He's, here, here's what's happening, though. He's talking about, by, by the, the uttermost part of heaven, it's talking about heaven in terms of the sky, not, not an eternal sense uh, that we tend to think of it, right? But it's, it's Israelites dwelling far away. Wherever they are, I will gather them back to the place that I chose, and, and the place that he chooses is, is Israel, or Jerusalem. That's what it is. Uh, the point being here that God wants to forgive, and he wants to gather his people. That's his sovereign desire, it was mentioned before they even walked away, before they even found themselves in sin, right? It was, it was listed out, this is what you're going to do, and I will restore you. 
And then in verse 10, Nehemiah declares what God already knows, saying that they are your servants and your people and whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah is referring to God, right? Delivering them out of Egypt. That's what he's pointing back to, his past faithfulness. You think about that. You, you think about the blood of the Passover lamb. That was part of that redemption. Think further in, into the future, our past, but their future, right? To God redeeming you and I through the blood of, of the lamb of God. See, we are redeemed not because of anything we've done, but because we are God's, because he has chosen us, because he has chosen to redeem us. And thus here we see the foundation of Nehemiah's entire prayer, right? It's the gospel premise that these floundering sinners are already God's beloved covenant people. They are his. Even in their sin in this moment, they are his. For you and I, who are by grace through faith in Jesus, children of God, for, uh, you know, for, for we who are in the covenant of grace, obedience is not the condition of receiving God's love. It's important. Some of you need to hear this, right? God's grace is not the condition for receiving God's love. It is the proper response for already being loved by God. And so he's praying. He's praying, restore us like you promised, for we are your people. It means something to be the people of God. And too often we just think, we're the people of God when we're behaving properly and we're not when we're not. But in your sin, you know, the Lord calls you back from that. He calls you back through repentance. He calls you back because you're His. So this brings us to the final verse, verse 11. Here Nehemiah makes a personal plea with God. I love how this prayer goes corporate and personal, corporate personal. But he begins by praying, oh Lord, let your ear be attentive. Maybe you're thinking that's redundant. Didn't he already say that? He did. He did say that. Good for you. Uh, the entire prayer is bookended with this, this humble request for God to hear him. He, he's asking for more than simply God to hear his prayer as if like, oh, I you know, acknowledge that it was said. He, he's asking God to answer it. Throughout the Old and the New Testament, we, we see that God answers prayers that are prayed according to his will or are prayed according to his, his name, right? And in one sense, Nehemiah is asking God to confirm that, that his plan is indeed God's will. This is right on the precipice before he's going to go and, and step out in a really dangerous way. He's asking God, hear this, answer it. And so wide angle of this prayer, Nehemiah's heart was broken for the people of God in Jerusalem. He sat down and he wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed for months. And through that, God has given him a desire to go to Jerusalem, to lead the people in the rebuilding of the walls, to be involved on that level. And now it is the morning when he will go to the king and he's going to make this request. And Nehemiah asked God for two things we see there. Oh God, give me success. This is what I'm going to do, Lord. Give me success. And two, grant me mercy in the sight of King Artaxerxes. We're going to see how that goes next week. We're going to see what he actually requests. We're going to see how the king responds. 
We're going to see whether the Lord answers that. Uh, but we're stopping here. Now, even though we're stopping here, I do want to give just a few final thoughts on, on, as to how Nehemiah's prayer relates to our own prayer life. Uh, I think the first question is, is he's praying this for, for the nation, right, of Israel? And, and it raises that question, can we pray Nehemiah's prayer as it is for the, the United States? And I'll, I'll say this, we, we can pray a very similar prayer for our country, but not, not fully so, because we as a nation are, are not God's people. And I know you've heard me say this before. I like to remind us of this. It's necessary. Sure, we are a nation that is founded on so many biblical principles. Yes, we are a nation that wants to acknowledge God very widely, right? You can see in God we trust on our money even. We, are, you know, we have held biblical values very highly as a nation. Our laws refle- reflect biblical ethics more closely, or at least they used to more so. Um, and not all, but most categories, you could, you could fairly say that we are less Christian today than, than we used to be 50 years ago, 100 years ago. That is all absolutely true. But we as a nation have never been God's chosen people. Yes, our founding fathers overwhelmingly wanted to follow the Lord and chose to do so in that regard. Uh, yes, the Lord has blessed us, absolutely, but God has not made a covenant with the USA. He has never chosen us as his people, as a nation. Um, and this matters because we, we can pray Nehemiah's prayer, but, but not so much for our beloved nation or any other nations, but we can pray it for the kingdom of God. We can and pray it for God's people, which is the church universal. We can pray it for the church in the United States or, or the church in any other location. If you're thinking of in those terms, we, we, we can mournfully confess how the church, has, how we ourselves have wandered from obedience to God's word and the need to come back to it. In fact, I would love it if our prayers reflected the, the burden of Nehemiah's heart, but in regard, you know, in regard to the bride of Christ, to the church, including ourselves. Speaking again of, of the news, I, I did read this week about a, a pastor of a church that was across the Ukrainian border. He, he stayed up most of the night pleading in prayer for God to, to move his church members to respond to the flood of Ukrainians that were crossing the border. And after so much, just a night of just pouring out his heart to the Lord in confession and prayer, uh, the next morning he stood up before his congregation and he said, it is time for us to do something for people people outside the church. And then he laid out a, a plan for radical, gospel-driven hospitality towards so many of these people that the Lord was, was, was driving their way from this war in Ukraine, um, sending their way. And, and you see one of the reasons, and it's, it, you kind of can see that, right? Nehemiah's prayer in that. There, there are places for us to pray this prayer. You, you see, one of the reasons that Nehemiah's prayer is so relevant for us today is that, that, that Nehemiah was, was living in, in, in Babylon, right? He, he lived as an exile among people of pagan beliefs all around him. He didn't have as much community as he probably hoped for. And, and increasingly, that's the world that you and I live in. We're going to seem weirder and weirder. That's okay. That's good. And if we're to flourish living among those who don't even acknowledge God exists, we, we need a robust, scripture-saturated prayer life. And if I'm honest, I, I don't think many of us have that. And I'll, I'll be the first to confess, I, I don't. Not, not like I desire. 
When was the last time, I mean honestly, the last time that you did hear tragic news and were just moved to fast or to weep or to pour out your heart to God? Not, not eventually as the last case scenario either, right? Well, we try to fix it every other way. We could pray. Isn't that how we practice it sometimes? I, I want you to know that God will hear you. I want you to believe because it's true that, that prayer really is powerful. Because you're talking to the most powerful being in existence, to the Lord God Almighty. And he hears us. Right? Our, our prayers are not request forms that are lost in some bureaucracy. Right? They, they are direct requests from beloved children to our generous God. And so here's what I, I want you to do today or, or tomorrow morning. Too often we, we, we hear sermons, we hear, read things, whatever it might be, and we think, oh, that was good or that was dumb. You know, you some critique on it and you're like, that's it. What I'm asking you to do is that today or tomorrow, I want you to go back to this passage. I want you to read it again. I want you to pray through it. Genuinely pray through it. Right? Apply it to whatever, whatever the news that is just weighing down on your heart. Whether it be some international thing. Whether it's something in, in your family. Whatever it might be to, to incorporate this, right? Uh, I, I want you to do that. I want you to consider what aspects of, of, of Nehemiah's prayer also that you need to incorporate more faithfully into your own time of prayer. Right? Do, do you need a, a tender heart that weeps when you see the destruction of sin in, in people's lives and in the world at large? Do you, do you need to know more of who God is so that, so that adoration just pours from your lips more effortlessly? Do, do you need to see yourself as part of God's wider covenant community so that you can more willingly confess sins corporately? Do, do you need to, to come to the Lord with your heart bare naked so that with knowledge of self and true humility, you can confess your sins before the Lord. Do you need to learn to, to pray God's word back to him? And this practice will help you with that. Do, do you need to take a risk and boldly ask God for success in, in some endeavor or, or for mercy as you step out of your comfort zone? Seriously, th this week, please, go back to this passage, pray through it. And, and if you do, I'd, I'd love to hear about it. You can text or email or call or knock on my door, whatever. I'd love to hear about it. What you learn about the Lord, about yourself. Let's pray. Oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Please grant to every man, woman, and child here today, the freedom, the confidence, the comfort of acceptance through the gospel so that we will lay our hearts bare before you in prayer. Teach us to weep when weeping is appropriate. Teach us to fast when fasting is appropriate. Teach us to praise you for your glorious everything. Teach us to confess our sin, all of them. Teach us to humbly pray for one another. Teach us to remember your grace in our times of unfaithfulness. Teach us to repent and to return to you again and again. Teach us to pray before we plan and to pray for success once we have discerned a plan. Oh Lord, move us to come to you more and more in prayer. Not out of guilt, 
or some sense of should, but because you're God, because you're our Heavenly Father, because you're powerful, because it means something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.